Good morning, everyone. My name is Bob Fox. I've been involved with the Firm Foundations class uh, for over 25 years. It started back um, uh, years ago in uh, Southern California. We had a congregation of five, over 5,000 people. And uh, since that time, um, about 14 years ago, we were, I got a job interview here in Greenville, in the Greenville area, so I've been teaching Firm Foundations class in th three different churches uh, in the past 14 years. Um, more recently, at Upcountry, we went through the Firm Foundations class three times. It's a 12-week study. And so, God willing, the creek don't rise. Uh, next Sunday, we'll start it again. Um, hopefully, a lot of you will attend. I think we have at least nine or 10 people signed up already. And um, before we go any further uh, with the short message that I'm gonna give today, let's, let's reach out to God and ask for his direction. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our pastor's successful operation, and now we ask for your healing hand to be upon him and restore him to newness of health. Thank you for your many blessings, including the opportunities to glorify you through word, song, and deed. I ask that your Holy Spirit guide me through this short message about the Firm Foundation's ministry, and that all would be encouraged to give every man an answer for the hope that lies within us and do this with gentleness and respect. We find ourselves in this world of uncertainty, but with the promise and hope of tomorrow that can only happen through your divine intervention. Please give us courage to be part of your great commission, that we would be those ambassadors of Christ that you called us to be. Give us boldness to share your absolute truth in a world that only recognizes relative truth. We lift up this time to you as you are the author and finisher of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all agreed by saying, Amen. I've, I've titled this short message uh, this morning, Understanding 1 Peter 3.15. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about um, what's really inspired me to get involved with this ministry. Um, I had some other intentions, but those intentions were not the same as God's. He had some other intentions. Many of us have been Christians for a number of years. Did you ever think in terms of what you would, what you would believe if you were born into a Jehovah's Witness household? Would you believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel? Or if you were born into a Mormon household, would you believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer? And so when I'm reading the scriptures, I'm thinking in terms of angels being created beings. How can Jesus be a created being when in the Gospel of John it tells me he's the creator? And so I have issue with that. And then when the Mormons talk about Jesus being the spirit brother of Lucifer, I think in terms of their idea that God the Father asked Jesus and Lucifer for a plan of salvation for mankind. And God the Father liked Jesus' answer better. There's other issues with regards to Mormonism, like them saying that we can become like gods, that we can become gods. And so we start to realize that there's a major difference in doctrine between the Christian faith and what we call the cults. The cults are belief systems that deviate from the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Now, I was born into a Jewish household, but we were about 
Jewish as much as some other Christians are Christian. It's just a label only. And I went through the tradition of being bar mitzvah at the age of 13. And what were the chances of me becoming a Christian? Just like these people that were born into a household of the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons, again, the question is, how, is, how am I likely to convert? It is interesting to reflect back on our journeys as Christians. There's many things that have happened, and if we look back at them in retrospect, we seek at the work that, do, that God started. And as we know in Scripture, he'll, he'll complete it. But over 33 years ago, and, and again, when I talk about, a little bit about my testimony, it's not so much that it's my testimony. What it's about is God working in the hearts and minds of those that believe. And so over 33 years ago, I was asked if I wanted to go to church. My answer was no. The next question is, why not? Ah, because they're all hypocrites and all they want is your money. Well, the biggest hypocrite of all is standing behind this pulpit right now, who's gone to church for the last 33 years and tithe. And so the question you might ask is, why? What, what happened? What transformation has taken place? And was it the Holy Spirit? Was it God's Word? Was, was it all of it? Because I have knowledge of absolute truth in the world that only recognizes relative truth, I started to realize there's something about this Christianity. If I was perfect, I would not need to go to church. But the Holy Spirit has set me apart for a process known as sanctification, which is growing in holiness and righteousness. I haven't arrived yet. Everything is still in process. God works in the hearts of his creation in mysterious ways. How many of you have ever seen that bumper sticker? God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to keep you that way. And so we start to realize that change is, is evident. Do other people see it? As an early Christian, I needed answers. I needed answers to some questions. And most of the answers came from my willingness to investigate truth. Is there evidence of God's existence and what makes the Judeo-Christian Bible different than any other religious book? I studied comparative religions and the cults. And I, all, and I came up with that same question again. Do all gods lead to the one and only true God? God's direction and answers to these questions are the reasons I have been involved with the Firm Foundations ministry for the past 25 plus years. And it's interesting as I look back and we talk about this retrospect I'm talking about, as I got more involved with the church, I learned that participation in the church was more than just showing up for a Sunday morning worship service. I learned that participation is necessary for Christian growth. So I asked the pastor some 30 some odd years ago, about starting up a new ministry, a new sports ministry. And when I asked him about it, he said to me, well, that's fine, Bob. How are you going to implement the wise concept? I said, the what? He said, the wise concept. I said, well, what's the wise concept? He says, well, it's an acronym. The W stands for winning someone in Christ. The I stands for instructing someone in Christ. The S stands for sending somebody in Christ. And the E stands for encouraging someone in Christ. I said, Pastor Steve, don't you do that on Sunday mornings in the midweek study? Why would I do that in the sports ministry? Well, Bob, uh, you probably need to go home, and you need to think about that, and you need to pray on it. 
And to be honest with you, being early in my faith, I had an attitude. I was a little bit irritated about the whole thing. So I didn't pray much. And I decided I wasn't going to think about it much more either. A couple weeks later, a guy by the name of Mark Caleb came to me. And Mark says to me, hey, Bob, uh, I just spoke to Pastor Steve, and he told me to go speak to you. He didn't, have, he didn't want to get into the subject any deep, deeper than I, I asked him about. And I said, well, what subject was that? He says, I told him I wanted to start up a sports ministry. And immediately he says, go talk to you. He says, what's that all about? And I started to think. I said, Mark, let me ask you a question. How are you going to implement this WISE concept? It's an acronym. And the W stands for, and I went through this whole thing with Mark. And Mark says, uh, I never heard about that before. I says, well, Mark, you need to go home. You need to think about it. You need to pray about it and then see what happens. And a, a month or so later, he became the leader of the uh, sports ministry at Calvary Chapel, South Bay. And I thought to myself, what am I, chopped liver? I mean, I, I wanted to do that. What, what, is he, what is he implementing into this ministry that, that I'm not doing? I said, I don't get it. In retrospect, looking back, sometimes you can see God's plan in your life. But it's amazing, while you're going through it, you don't notice it. It's later on as you look back. So after two years of my Christian walk, I was asked to head up a men's ministry, which was called His. I called it His because isn't every ministry His? It's God's. But I said it's also an acronym. H stands for honor. I stands for integrity. And the S stands for servanthood. Every Christian ministry is his. And I thought that, well, basically, honor, integrity, and servanthood should be the theme of the men's fellowship. We had about 100 plus guys, which are, we, we broke it up into groups of eight or 10. After a year, I wanted a break from the ministry. And after several months of no ministry activity, I felt empty, like something was missing, what I call a dry spell. I was soon asked by an assistant pastor if I wanted to get into another ministry. But before that time, another interesting incident happened. The other incident that happened was is that um, I, w I wanted to volunteer because I wanted to see what God was going to lead me in the church. So I was uh, addressing people or greeting people in the foyer. You call it the foyer uh, at church. And um, after the service was over, a gray-haired man came up to me and said, uh, Hey, Bob. How would you like to give a message uh, at Jacob's Well? I said, well, what's Jacob's Well? He says, well, that's a halfway house. I says, what's a halfway house? I says, well, people have been incarcerated for different things, drug addiction, thievery, so on. And I, he says, they've come together in this house, working together, taking on different chair, chores and sharing them, going out and finding jobs and being useful people in society. I said, well, what message do you want me to give? He says, any message that you want. I says, you mean a message from the Bible? He says, that would be good. That would be preferable. And I said, well, how do you know I can give a message? He says, look, do you want to give the message or not? So I gave the message. And so again, never realizing that 
When I tried to find out who this gray-haired guy was, all I knew was that he was taking care of Jacob's wealth. None of the pastors had ever mentioned anything to him about me. Nobody knew who I was, except God. God knew who I was. So I thought about which ministry I felt most drawn to. It was Firm Foundations. I was drawn to Firm Foundations because most of the Christians and pastors I spoke to did not have answers to all of my questions. I thought Christians should have answers to these questions. As I entered the pastor's office, I noticed a wallboard with all the ministries and their leaders listed. I knew for absolutely sure I didn't want to lead a ministry, I just wanted to assist the pastor. It was the only ministry that did not have a leader. In retrospect, it appeared God had a different plan for a ministry better suited for me. Some of you may debate that if you get involved with the Firm Foundations class. The purpose of this message today is to encourage you to do something the church has been negligent in doing for decades. At the risk of you thinking this is just my opinion, I will share with you what apologist Josh McDowell said in an interview 11 years ago. Josh McDowell wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's an exhaustive reference manual on evidence for the Christian faith. The interview with Josh McDowell was written up in an article titled, Most Christians Cannot Explain Their Faith. The interview is based on approximately 100 million people in the United States being made up of children, teens, and adults who profess being Christian and only 2% share their faith. The first of the top 12 reasons for not sharing their faith is lack of knowledge. Most know what they believe, but they cannot explain why they believe. The Jews had a lack of knowledge, which Paul identified in Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The second reason for Christianity, not sh most of them not sharing their faith, is a decades-old disease translated from Latin called non-rockabotus. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to get into arguments. We just all want to get along by showing the love of Christ. I told some people several times that they were going to love some people right into hell. They love people so much they forget to share a man's need of a savior. The word non-rockabotus comes from one of my heroes in the faith, Dr. Walter Martin, who started the Christian Research Institute and who hosted the radio show, The Bible Answer Man. Now, getting back to some of the questions and comments on this interview with Josh McDowell, one of the first things was said is the faith of most Christians, even that of many pastors, will not stand up to intellectual scrutiny. What does that mean? We'll get into that in a minute. Pastors' inability to present biblical truth comprehensively and relatively has led to children from Christian families leaving the church by the age of 18, researchers have shown. Not even the children of many successful ministers are spared. In 50 years of ministry, McDowell has asked several thousand pastors and elders how they can be certain Jesus Christ said, I am the truth, and not one of many truths or truth. Not one person has ever given me an intelligent, biblically-based answer. During the past six years, he has asked hundreds of Christians and leaders why they see themselves as Christians. Again, no one gave him an intelligent answer. In the past 17 years, he asked over 4,000 pastors, leaders, and parents why they believe 
the Bible is true. Amir Six came close to giving an intelligent answer. McDowell said, if anything is based on truth, it is a Christian faith. Christians who do not know why they have faith or believe have a very difficult time expressing themselves to others. What is the answer, I say? They don't have an answer. I say there is no answer. There are hundreds of answers. Most Christians, even some pastors, don't even know one. I can give you 50 reasons for my belief that the Bible is true. That's what Josh McDowell said. 95% of Christians gave disappointing responses when asked why they believe Jesus is the Son of God and why the Bible is true and historically reliable. Their response is that that was what I had been taught by the church and by my parents. A common response that most Christians gave to both questions is, that's what I believe. McDowell responded, that's a voodoo thinking. Where did you ever get the crazy idea that something is true just because you believe it? If that is true, then there'd, be no her there'd never be any heresy. Everybody, be, everybody would be right. And so that reminds me of some of the things that we talk about in the Firm Foundations class. There are some belief systems that are a lie. Many of you may not realize some of these situations of these people. Many people believe in Jim Jones in Guyana, South America. Many people believe in David Koresh in Waco, Texas, and Doe down in San Diego. They believed and died for a lie. And again, in the Firm Foundations class, we talked about false belief systems. On one occasion, going back to Josh's interview, on one occasion, 13 youth pastors at a large convention were unable to reasonably answer McDowell's questions. Finally, one young person stood up, walked toward him, and told him, and he knew the answers. The young man promptly held up his Bible and said, because I believe. <coughs> to McDowell's dismay, all the youth pastors applauded him. McDowell said, young man, do you know the difference between you and me and the majority of the Christians in the world? To you, it's true because you believe it. For me, I believe it because it is true. Another response was, because I have faith. McDowell responded, where'd you ever get the crazy idea that faith makes something true? That's idiotic. That's so unbiblical, you can call it heresy. God does not use faith to create truth. He uses truth through the Holy Spirit to create faith. McDowell said Christians are called to explain their faith when asked. They are set free by the faith in the truth. In John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus himself said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Others say Christianity is true because Jesus changed their lives. Even this will not stand up to intellectual scrutiny because lies have changed lives, and cults have changed lives. Finally, McDowell said, in the essence of Christianity is not just telling ourselves, our children, our neighbors, and the loss what we believe, but why we believe it. When being transformed, the love of Christ should be evident. But how does the church fulfill the great commission that Jesus spoke to us, disciples? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do we think these people we're going to disciple have no questions at all? Obviously, a first-hand witness of the Messiah thought there would be questions, based on 1 Peter 3.15. Be ready to give every man an answer for the hope that is in you, 
but do this with gentleness and respect. Being ready to give every man an answer led to my interest in apologetics. Apologetics is a branch of theology that defends Christianity. The Greek word translated as make a defense or give an answer is apologian, from the root word apologia. This is not related to the English word apology, where one expresses regret or remorse. Rather, the term means a justification, or an answer back, or a reason. This is the source of the terms apologetics and apologist, which refer to a rational defense of the Christian faith. An intellect recently asked me if Christianity needs to be defended. He's not a believer. It was a smart aleck remark. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, every book I ever read about apologetics references 1 Peter 3.15. So let's investigate the passage. Again, the title of this message is Understanding 1 Peter 3.15, but we're going to do it in context. Peter is writing to people who are already believers. His audience already understands Jesus to be the Lord of all. In the previous verse, Peter instructs Christians not to fear those who cause them to suffer for the sake of Christ. In this verse, he reveals how believers should choose to respond instead. So in reading 1 Peter 3.14, it says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. In verse 15, Peter says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. At this point, I think it would be good to study these verses. There is a difference between devotional reading and Bible study. There is a tendency to set a reading goal as opposed to a study goal. I know with my devotional, I want to focus on a verse, a chapter, or something. There's always some kind of goal I want to hit, and most of the time fail. But I haven't given up yet. But in your hearts is where we start out first with this scripture. But in your hearts, it says to revere Christ as Lord. First, we should set aside our hearts as the Christ is fully honored as the Lord. Peter is writing to people who are already believers, I mentioned before. Still, he instructs Christians to focus intently on Christ's role as a master, living as if that we were absolutely true in all cases, even in suffering. Peter calls us to full submission to Christ, not surrender as Pastor Rob shared with us several weeks ago. When we set apart Christ as Lord, it will change us. Remember, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave it that way. Peter says those who observe us will notice the difference. That difference is hope. Even in the midst of our suffering, our hopefulness should be apparent. So Peter instructs us to be ready to answer the questions our life should inspire. How can you be so hopeful in such difficult circumstances? Well, I've been in circumstances that weren't radical. They weren't suffering. But nevertheless, people wanted to know what was different about me. Why is it that I needed to be fixated on Jesus Christ? They would say to me, you have a great family. You have a nice job a nice house and a new car. Why did you need this crutch? Why did you need this Jesus? What has changed? There's what Peter's talking about. 
there's something that they see in you, whether it's a radical circumstance or whether it's just a change that some of them may have noticed. Peter anticipates people will become curious. Hopeless, hopefulness and joy are starkly different from the normal human response to suffering. So much so that we'll, people will be eager to understand it. What will we say when they ask? We must be prepared to give our defense to make the case for faith in Christ. We need to reject the cultural pressure to keep our beliefs to ourselves. Instead, believers shall openly share the good news of redemption through Christ Jesus. Secondly, we're to always be prepared or ready. Ready for what? To give an answer for our hope. And what is our hope? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we see the definition of faith. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, faith is the assurance or confidence of things hoped for. What is hoped for? Our hope is in Christ, and to eventually be in an eternal place of rest in the presence of God. That is an eternal perspective. We're living in the bus stop. This is the bus stop, ladies and gentlemen. And who are we supposed to be prepared and ready to give an answer to? And an answer to that intellect says, why does Christianity need to be defended? Depending on what scripture, what Bible you have, the term everyone or every man or anyone is mentioned. So let's look at some of these people. Who are these people we're to share our faith with and give answers for our hope? The person suffering physical or mental pain. The person who is morally and ethically bankrupt. The person suffering from financial ruin. The person suffering from any addiction. The person who is destitute. I wanted to have a full definition of that word destitute. What is destitute? It's lacking the necessities of life, abandoned and forsaken. Can someone who has all the necessities of life be destitute? And I thought to myself, okay, I remember reading a book one time. And there was a wealthy man living in a penthouse. And he walked out on his balcony and he was looking down at the streets below and he saw what looked like a man in the gutter by the sidewalk. So he goes and gets a pair of binoculars and he's looking down on the street. And sure enough, it appears to be a homeless man with his hands reaching out to heaven, not knowing that the homeless man says, God, save me, help me. And the picture there is the wealthy man thinking that he doesn't need anything. He's got all the material things in the world, doesn't need a thing, and here is a homeless man in the gutter, reaching out to God, reaching out to Christ. And the real issue is this, who is the most destitute and who is the most desperate? Not even knowing they're destitute. We also want to reach out to the intellect, a person having or showing a high degree of superior reasoning powers. However, the intellect does not always apply objective reasoning. He may try to fool you and use subjective reason, subject to the way he wants you to think about things. We can also talk to the skeptic, a person who habitually doubts or questions the existence of God and the reliability of Scripture. We can talk to the agnostic, a person who believes that the human mind cannot know whether there is God or an ultimate cause. This is a good time to discuss the difference between empirical evidence and circumstantial evidence. I can't tell you I was sitting at a bus stop 
and God, the Holy Spirit, came down and sat next to me, and we had a conversation. That, to me, would be my empirical evidence, but I don't need that because I have other evidences that we talk about in, firm, in the Firm Foundations class. We can also be talking to the atheist, a person who rejects all religious belief and denies the existence of God, heaven, and whatever. When asked if he has all the knowledge of the universe and everything in it, the rational atheist will say, of course not. Well, if you don't know everything there is to know in the whole entire universe, it's a good possibility that God exists, isn't it? So he's no longer found to be an atheist. He's more of an agnostic than anything else. Atheism doesn't work. You can talk to the cultists as well. A person who denies the essential doctrines of the Judeo-Christian Bible. You and I believe in the Jesus who created the universe and everything in it. Our, one cultist believes that Jesus is Michael the Archangel, and the other believes Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. I'm not picking on these two belief systems. They just seem to be prevalent in our society. What I'm saying is, is there's a lot of belief systems out there that deviate from the fundamentals of the doctrines of Christianity. Those belief systems will not save. Finally, it matters how we make the case for Christ. We must present it with gentleness and respect. Christians are not called on to condemn those who are curious about our hopefulness. Nor are we to be vindictive, vengeful, or insulting to those who disagree. Rather, we should explain our faith without harshness or dismissiveness. I have an issue with this, but remember, I said that I'm growing through a process called sanctification. But I can tell you this, there was an example of one time of the office in the, in the place I worked for back in California uh, was filled with a bunch of secretaries. They were having an issue, they were having talking about some social issue that they all couldn't agree on. So they wanted to talk to this new person who had found Christ, that being me. So they asked me to come out and give them my opinion. As I walked out the door, my secretary confronted me in a loud enough voice that they could hear. She said, you know, Bob, she said, they're not going to understand. They're not, they're not like us. They don't believe. You're, you're, you're wasting your time. So I went out and I talked to the secretaries and I told them, you know, my opinion is no better than anybody else's opinion, but I can give you absolute truth, and it would come from God's word. Later on that afternoon, I spoke to my secretary, and I said, you know what? We need to encourage people in Christ not to be dismissive. And I said, we want them to embrace what we embrace. We want them to have everlasting life. We want them to have everything that we have. What better gift can we bestow upon them. We can't save them, but we can win them. We can't win them if we're going to isolate them and be dismissive. She agreed with me. So what about people who refuse to listen? Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, lest he be wise in his own eyes. There's a difference between subjective and objective reasoning. I'm going to give you an example. I've always given examples. If, you are taking a, if, you're, if you're talking to a Jew, and I know a few of them, that does not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, he might tell you he does not acknowledge the New Testament. In other words, his belief system is based on subjective influence by his belief system. If you ask him if he knows there is a manuscript evidence of the New Testament and the approximate dates the books are written, and he tells you he is not interested in the evidence, your conversation could be over. 
Or on the other hand, if you can explain there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah that are actually fulfilled in detail in the New Testament, he might consider investigating because you have challenged him to look at the issue objectively. If he cannot look at the issue objectively, you have not failed in your attempt. God does not grade you and I on the result, but rather on our willingness to step out in faith. How do we engage in the Great Commission of making disciples without having answers? And this is what this firm foundation ministry is all about. Let me talk to you a little bit about the class. Obviously, I'm not the author of its information, but I organized the material in the best way I thought it would encourage someone to investigate Christianity. For example, why would I discuss the gospel, the Christian doctrine, the Holy Trinity, God's assurances, and how to grow in the new life to a person who questions God's existence and questions the reliability of Scripture? This is where apologetics comes in. Therefore, the first two firm foundation classes are on apologetics. Evidence of God's existence and Bible being divine rather than human origin. The final court of arbitration, God's word. After the first two weeks, the following subjects are covered in the remaining weeks. God's truth contradicts world's philosophies. How to develop a personal relationship with God. Essential Christian doctrine. The assurances of God. Growing in the new life the resurrection, and afterlife. Now, if this strikes your interest, there might be some thought-provoking questions I could ask you right now. Would you be interested to know there are scientific laws that prove the existence of God? Unbelievers believe that we have fairy tales, that we believe in fairy tales. It's like jumping off into a deep, dark chasm with no evidence at all and yet they lack knowledge. They don't know that the number one most popular argument for the existence of God is based on scientific laws. Would you be interested to know the four out of 33 most popular arguments for the existence of God? Would you be interested to know why the Earth is considered the privileged planet? Would you be interested to know what significance does DNA have for the evidence of God's existence? Would you be interested to know the impact of the Dead Sea Scrolls on the reliability of scripture. Would you be interested to know what scaling the language barrier has to do with understanding the cults? Would you be interested to know what the Apocrypha is and why it's not considered for inclusion in the original canon of scripture? Would you be interested to know why biblical scholars admit to a few transcribed errors in the Bible yet still maintain the Bible is the infallible inerrant word of God? Would you be interested to know the difference between heretical, peripheral, and essential doctrine? Would you be interested to know the face that demonstrates the farce of evolution? It's still being taught. Maybe not as much, but it's still being taught. Would you be interested to understand what it means to look at the face that demonstrates the farce of evolution? Would you be interested about the reasons why the life of Christians does not manifest all the fruit of the Spirit? If the Holy Spirit fills me, and we talk about all the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians, why wouldn't all that be manifested? I can't tell you that I wake up every morning and oh, I just, I'm full of love and long-suffering. And, and I have all this patience. I can't tell you I'm that person. Why not? Does that mean I'm not a believer? 
There must be something else. We talk about that. How about how to mature and stand firm in the faith? Would you be interested to know why, what state our uncorrupted, resurrected bodies will be in, given the fact that we were born as babies, and Adam and Eve came into this world as adults? What's that all about? Would you be interested to know why some Christians are in error to believe reincarnation and the resurrection are compatible? And there's a lot of them that do. I have taught this class so long, I sometimes feel compelled to encourage myself by asking attendees what they thought about the class. That's my words of encouragement. When I ask somebody that seems to know quite a bit about Christianity and their Bible, I said, has this class done anything for you? What have you gleaned from this class? What have you learned? And the, and the answer are sometimes, and I've heard this on a couple occasions, I've been a Christian all my life. I've gone to church every Sunday. We're a believing family. But there's some things I learned at this class that I have never heard before. And I, didn't, I didn't really understand, and now I do. I encourage you to get involved because the unbelieving world has some really, really good questions. Christianity has their answers. Do you know the answers? I don't have them all, but I have the ones that enable me to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You may recognize some of my sources of information so that no one cannot accuse me of plagiarism, my source of information are, what would you guess number one is? The Judeo-Christian Bible. Other sources are the Handbook of a Christian Apologetics by Kreeft and Toselli, The Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel, When Skeptic Asked by Norman Geisler, When Critics Asked by Norman Geisler, Evidence that Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, The Privileged Planet, the Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. A Ready Defense by Josh McDowell. The Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. Roman Catholics and Evangelicals. Agreements and Differences by Geisler and McKenzie. The Great Doctrines of the Bible by Evans. Living Waters by Chuck Smith. Chrisma versus Chrismania by Chuck Smith, who started all the Calvary chapels. The Christian Research Institute, there's miscellaneous articles from the Christian Research Institute, and the book Resurrection by Hank Hanegraaff. Here's what you can expect in the class. Here's a few things I wanted to mention to you. The objectives of the class are continued growth in Christianity, and growth in your faith, and third of all, being ready to give answers for what you believe. There's no required homework. This class is not a substitute for the regular Sunday morning worship service. A class outline will be given at the start of each class. There's just too much to try to remember. Bring your own three-ring notebook to collect the outlines and refer to them anytime you want. You may want to share them with somebody else at some time. You've got all the information. You'll have all, all, all 12 lessons. Any missed class can be made up on the next rotation of the classes. Outlines of missed classes will not be available until the following rotation. Some of you might say your schedule does not allow you to attend 12 consecutive Sunday morning classes. That's okay, because you can take the classes you missed in the next 12 rotation of classes. The class starts at 9.30 Sunday mornings in the church office next door. Sign-ups are at the back of the church if you wish to attend. Please think and pray about attending. It is not a sports ministry, as I refer back to the wise concept story, but it does have eternal rewards.
Pastor, you want to close us in prayer?